Welcome all, this is Justin Lomnes, the Lunatic Libertarian Podcast, the place to engage lunatic ideas about freedom, building skill sets, encouraging individual tangible knowledge, self-sufficiency, and engaging all of humanity, regardless of political affiliation, sex, race, color, creed, pronoun, preference, social economic background, or any label, title, or category you choose to affiliate yourself with. We appreciate all the knowledge for the better of all mankind, and we thank you for listening to The Lunatic Libertarian. And we are live on Facebook and YouTube, and my 30-second countdown was not doing what I thought it was supposed to be doing. Um, <laughs> And that's why I'm the Lunatic Libertarian, and we are live here with my main man, David Wiley, who is running for Wisconsin State, or not Wisconsin, Washington <laughs> State Legislature. And I apologize because the W's get confused. <laughs> uh, so it's Washington State Legislature, and uh, David Wiley, I appreciate you coming on my show, the Lunatic Libertarian. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Uh, a little intoxicated, a little frustrated. I mean, I've uh, had a real rough day at work. I just got out of a, a campaign committee meeting, and uh, life is very, very stressed right now because time is of the essence when we're talking about the 2022, uh, I mean, campaigns that need to be brought out there and uh, the vote that needs to be brought out there when it comes to uh, changing things for people for the positive when it comes to freedom and liberty in the United States. And I hope you're doing that in Washington. And why don't you let everybody know what you're doing in Washington? Thank you very much. I am running for the second time uh, for Washington State Representative of the um, city of Everett, uh, original home of Boeing, just north of Seattle here. Uh, as I said, this is my second time running. I ran two years ago for the position uh, against a uh, more than 10 year incumbent and uh, it was just a paper candidacy, just trying to spread awareness of liberty issues, get the message out there. And uh, to my surprise, over 20,000 people voted for me, about a third of the voters, in a year when everybody was coming out to vote for Biden and Trump. <laughs> That's excellent. And I'm, I, I yeah. bet that surprised the hell out of your ass. It did. You know, I had no volunteers. I had less than $500 budget. You know, I just went around and talked to some people during the Black Lives Matter protests and stuff. Um, you know, I didn't do much at all. And I got a lot of support. Um, and this is a heavily blue district. So, you know, 33% may not sound like something winning, but that's much better than Republicans usually do around here. Um, so it's not just Republicans who are voting that way. We have a good libertarian base in the city. Uh, Republicans and crossover Democrats. So seeing that I had support from, you know, those three different opposing views, like, well, I need to make a serious run at it again, right? And uh, to my surprise, the uh, my previous opponent who had been in office for 18 years just retired. Excellent. That, that creates a lot of opportunity for uh, libertarians that are trying to even get on the ballot. But then also, when you already have the support of 20,000 voters that yep. is on record, you have an opportunity here to really set an example of what liberty can do for your constituents. Yeah. Um, so it's a different race this time. It's not just me or the other guy. It's me going to be me versus a variety of people. And right. Washington State here, we have a top two runoff primary. So in August, it'll be everyone. And then the two who get the most votes move on to the general election ballot in November. Um, and we already know that one of those will be the Democrat, and then it'll be me taking that message to the Democrat. <laughs> I, I appreciate the confidence because, I mean, I, I haven't seen many uh, candidates that actually have voting confidence and they're trying to influence people but you already have uh that baseline already there from a couple yeah. of years ago yep yeah no over twenty thousand people have already checked that ballot for an l next to the name right so they've already voted for me and um 
You know, the thing is, when a Democrat or Republican runs, they've got this baseline. People are going to vote for him because they have that letter next to their name. And then there's a large number of people who will never vote for him because they have that letter next to their name. And for a libertarian, we have a lower floor, but we have a much higher ceiling. That's something people need to realize. Like, we can go much further. Um, You know, there's been a lot of discussion about this in my campaign because, you know, for instance, no matter how much I fundraise, Democrats and Republicans with all their sponsors are going to fundraise more. But who's really open to their message? They're going to spend a lot of money convincing just a few people who are tired of Democrats and Republicans, if they can. And the thing is, people are ready for the libertarian message. They're ready for the for a change to the status quo. Absolutely. Um, so, you now I expect to be outspent 100 to 1, no matter what I raise. But the money I raise is actually going to reach people. And it already is. All right, I'm out there doorbelling, sticking literature in people's hands, saying, this is what a libertarian stands for. Now, some people know a little bit. Some people go, oh, yeah, I know libertarians. Gary Johnson ran. What's that mean at a local level, right? And so now they're not just seeing those big presidential issues. They're seeing, you know, the local politics. And local politics is really what matters most. That's what we need to talk to people about. Because the real politics isn't even so much foreign policy in the Fed. Um, You know, things we like to talk about over and over as libertarians, the real politics is the kitchen table, right? The real politics is the money that they're losing because of inflation. People telling me, you know, I have this much paycheck and I went to the grocery store and I almost cried because I can't get what I used to, right? Well, and when you have table politics, well, and when you have the Biden administration actually delivering funds to another country for their proxy war in the form of hundreds of millions first and then it's tens of billions next, you know, and people can't put food on the tables. It's absolutely a slap in the face of citizens of this country or people that even live in this country who don't have their citizenship. The thing is, is that if you live in this country and you participate in its economics, you should actually be able to have a tangible asset at your dinner table every single night if you're working in this country. And one of the I things that, that people don't understand is that they're sending our money from our paychecks to another country. And they, they, they do this admittedly and it's open, but it's to save the world. You know, I take a different uh, approach to that. You know, I don't want to get into foreign policy too much because it's not relevant to my race. Right. Um, but this year alone, the federal government has a $6 trillion budget. $6 trillion. $40 billion that we're talking about, that's a rounding error, basically. Mm-hmm. They are wasting money hand over fist, and they only have the receipt for about $4 trillion. So they're printing Two trillion because nobody's buying the debt anymore. <laughs> All the countries around the world have too many problems, so we're just printing money. This massive inflation that we're going through right now, and uh, you know the fact that we're printing it means it's going to get a lot worse because we're not feeling the effects of that two trillion in printing right now. We're feeling the effects of the one trillion they printed last year. Right. Um, and where does Washington rank as a state as far as how much federal dollars it gets as far as uh, other states? Oh, I don't know that answer. But uh, again, as I said, we're the home of Boeing. So I guarantee you it's a lot. <laughs> Boeing is one of the main beneficiaries of the XM Bank and, you know, other things. So, yeah, we get a lot. Um, and at the local level, the importance of talking about that. You know, these federal dollars come in and they're not without strings attached. It's not just a waste of the taxpayer money at the federal level. When you're looking at what they're doing, those federal dollars, they're bribing state governments to do things that aren't really in the people's interests. Correct. As I always remind people, good ideas don't require force. If it's a good idea, would we really need a bribe to do it? A lot of COVID dollars have a lot of strings attached to it, too, and people don't realize that. Yeah. And that's money 
you know, in order for the U.S. government to give a state a billion dollars, they have to tax a billion and a half. That's money already taken out of the economy, taking out of households to give it back with the puppet strings attached, with the leash on it. You know, you are uh, correct. was economist Thomas Sowell who said that government is the art of taking money from people quietly and giving it some of it back to them extravagantly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a ridiculous concept if you look at it in its wholehearted fact of what it is. It is an absolute ridiculous concept. It, it's you're actually stealing money from people and then saying, well, I'm going to give you a fragment of it back and be like, oh, well, you, you should be appreciative. Yeah. But unfortunately, the Democrats and Republicans have most of people brainwashed into believing there's no other way of doing it. What's the other system? And that's what people like me have to really get out there. And we have to have really fleshed out ideas to show them, hey, I can bring this proposal. I can do this. I can support this thing that you know, you're going to like. Um, as one libertarian in the state legislature, uh, like Marshall Burt in Wyoming, I'm not going to tip the scales of the balance in the House, right. but I'm going to be able to put bills in there and make them vote for it. Uh, Republicans who say, oh, you know, we don't want to raise taxes, but we have to compromise. Like, okay, well, let me put this bill out here because you're not even trying, and let's see the votes. Republic, uh, Democrats who say they want to clean things up, they want to end qualified immunity, but they never introduce the bill, right? Right. So I'm going to it introduce. It never reaches the floor. It's presented to. I've seen a lot of of many bills, whether it be on the local level, the state level, or it's on the federal level, that are presented into the public, but then it now actually never reaches the floor for a vote because right. the 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 powers that be want want, want to tease you for the next election. And then say, well, we we did this for you, you know, and and this is that manipulation that people need to get away from as far as government to make you dependent on the state. And I think that's one of the things that you're presenting here right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, different libertarians have their different philosophies to the state. Mine personally, I want this. I'm not an anarchist. I just want things to be voluntary. I want the government to respect our consent and confiscatory confiscatory taxation, right? Anything that we value from the government, we will pay for willingly. I would agree. Um, I know a couple years ago, I had a discussion with someone from our state parks department um, because they were worried about what a libertarian would do. And I told them, actually... I think I could increase funding to state parks because it's something people want and they will pay for voluntarily. And all that funding should go back into your department, right? It shouldn't go into these other funds and pay for these other things that people don't want, right? If we had a choice, lots of people, including libertarians would say, yes, I want to pay for national defense. I want to live in a free country and not be invaded by some foreign dictator. I will pay for that voluntarily. I don't want to pay for bombing brown kids in the Middle East, right? That's the problem. We don't right now get a choice. Once you have that choice, certain programs that people like will take off. They will improve. And the ones that don't will fail. Uh, In economics, it's called creative destruction, right? You have a whole bunch of different companies. They have a different approach. And the ones that have a bad idea or can't manage themselves, they get destroyed. They fall out. So success prospers. What do you think about uh, fraud, waste, and abuse as far as current programs and uh, what the accountability is currently represented in government versus what real accountability is? <laughs> you know, there's almost no accountability right now in government. Um, oh, come on. The, the Government Accountability Board said what happened to all the money. Yeah, uh, those are... If we want to name them accurately, they're government whitewashing boards is what they are, right? So they're there to um, give people who misbehave a slap on the wrist. Um, I'm one of those people who actually pays attention, who reads reports from the state auditor, who finds corruption, reports all these things, and then it just gets filed away and nothing happens. Correct. There is no accountability for any fraud, waste, and abuse in government right now. Yeah. 
people don't get fired. You have the most atrocious abuses. Uh, using a local example, uh, prosecutors were paying bribes to attorneys for children to take them away from their parents and put them in foster care in order to get more federal funding. Saying, oh, mm -hmm. well, there's all that federal funding. Well, if they can increase the number of kids in foster care, whether it's good for them or not, they can get more federal funding. So they always want to increase it. Uh, now that you and brought that up. I, those I prosecutors? No charges. Right. No. And this is the problem with business and government being involved with each other is that yeah. when you're trying to create revenue from the people and you have to try and create numbers statistically to fit that revenue, it's kind of a ridiculous thing because you're trying to uh, increase your income for your purposes, but you're going to desecrate humanity for those purposes just so that you can incur more funds. And that is the corruption in government that truly actually makes me angry. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's this, uh, you know, you keep on voting for the lesser of two evils, but not just that. Even those inside government, like, oh, well, they believe they're doing a good thing. I'm keeping this program running that helps kids. And, you know, I have to grind up a few kids to keep the system running. But, you know, they all believe that the, the um, ends justify the means. But it doesn't. You know, they're destroying no. lives in this process. You a know, human being. It's not just yeah. a life. It's a human being that they're not uh, uh, They're not actually asking for your help. They want their mother, their father, whatever, no matter what condition they're in. And the thing is, is that the state does not need to regulate human behavior. And that's one of the things that people really don't understand is that Human behavior is human behavior. It's not going to change no matter how you try and, quote, unquote, make laws or regulate it. And the government has no business being there to begin with. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I and mean, a lot of... I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. I was going to say, and a lot of the problems we're facing, the real origin of it is government. One of my key issues is housing. So... Uh, in the Puget Sound area, we have a massive housing shortage. Uh, we're currently short about 50,000 housing units that are needed right now, right? And this has a bunch of adverse effects, increasing homelessness, increasing rents, more poverty. But why do we have a shortage? Is it because de developers don't want to build homes and house people? No, they make money for doing that. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's an it's in their to make more. It's government that's stopping them. And the irony to me is that in cities like I live in, in Everett and in Seattle, they're building tiny homes at taxpayer expense. They're taking a whole bunch of money, again, hurting poor people, to put some people in these little homes. And private developers are not allowed to build these. We have square footage minimums. We have parking minimums. We have all these uh, many laws at you know county and local level that says oh you can't build this help without taxes that we're going to steal money from for people in order to build for them correct because <laughs> it, it it it's a policy that implements another policy that implements another policy that implements another policy and it's all stacked against the american citizen or any individual that is living in this country that is what it is all about and I'm glad you're bringing this up is that there is not a problem of actually getting things done. It's the bureaucracy and the barricades that are involved when actually you want to create something that's better for your humanity. It, well, you can't do this without a license. You can't do this without a permit. You can't do this without certification and yada, yada, yada. You need the proper paperwork. Let me see your paperwork. It's just like a, um, a person, if you go to jail and let's say you're your criminal charges of are not of a great stature, let's say. But if you go to prison and you get confronted as an individual, they're going to say, let me see your paperwork of who you are as far as your charges. And that may end up with multiple different situations that happen after the fact. The thing is, is that the government is the same way. It, 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 it's absolutely ridiculous. The, the, the barricades that are placed upon individuals that are constitutionally given the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
And yep. this is one thing that I preach about all the time. I'm sorry I'm preaching. It, it, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is a constitutional law of the land. And people have forgotten this because they become dependent on the state because maybe their individual self uh, 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 was taught something that shouldn't have really been taught because it, it, we have generational thought processes. And I think that's why we're in the situation that we are now, that people are taught that, well, if you do this and this and this, the state will take care of you. And this is a generational thing. But I, I'm going off on a rant. We're going to stick with David Wiley and, and why we may be gotten into this situation. Now, let's talk about where you're from. Let's talk about that uh, sanctuary city that you had during Black Lives Matter. Okay. Let's talk about that because it, it, it's a sovereign state according to there is no outside uh, police. There's no government going in there. It's a barricaded sovereign state, let's say. What was going on there? Oh, there was uh, Black Lives Matter protests, and there was a bunch of protests going on. And um, they decided, uh, basically, the police vacated one of their buildings. All the police left, and they decided, oh, you know, we're going to protest this. We're going to take over the police building and not let them come back in. Um, to which me, as a libertarian, is like, well, aren't they community police? Don't they kind of need the consent of the people to be policing there? So, mm -hmm. sure, okay, whatever may or may not be a good idea, but we should be respecting the consent of our communities. Um, they went in, they occupied it, they set up a, a perimeter. Uh, there were a lot of issues with this going on because they didn't have the consent of all the businesses going on there. There was a lot of uh, conflict. They ended up having their own kind of private security force, uh, which did work. And then... Um, police being unwelcome, uh, basically pulled back from it. And the inevitable happened, which is uh, outside the limits of this Chaz chop, there were some, some murders and crimes because there was, kind of, there was a zone in between where nobody was looking out. So that became the true uh, anything goes area and someone got murdered and it became the state's justification to go in with force. And, right. And the way they usually do, which, of course, the problem is, is, you know, these people were mostly anarcho-communists. I, of course, don't agree with them and their choices. But the problem is now is that we've used force to stop them. So they don't believe they were wrong. They don't believe they failed. They just believe that they were stopped. Whereas if we had let them do it and let them fail on their own, they would see that their philosophy was itself a failure. And that's one of the problems. We need to stop using force and stop bailing out failures with, you know, the money from the productive people. Well, and as a master diesel technician that thinks he does things for his community, as far as pr uh, producing a product that it makes it safe for everybody to make sure that products get to their destinations from their crop. I, I live in a farming community, so <laughs> if I can get the crops to Can the I correct consumer, you on one thing? You said you think. That's absolutely wrong. You do provide value because if you didn't, you work with a voluntary business. If you didn't, you would be out of business. <laughs> well, and I work for a very small company. Uh, there's only three mechanics on the floor, the owner and a service writer. That is the company. So um, I think that uh, what I provide is trying to be the very best but it comes at a cost. Now, when we talk about what people think things should cost in an economic sense, I'm a person that wants to provide something for somebody in return for goods and services. So my goods and services, I don't need tangible uh, uh, fiat dollars to buy my stuff at a grocery store. I'm talking to farmers. What are you growing on your land? You got some onions? Do you got some uh, tomatoes? Do you got cucumbers? Do you got... Uh, because that's what I know is going to make myself survive. And I can do whatever I want with that product, regardless if it's um, labeled organic or anything like that. Yeah. And I, I don't like labels, titles, and categories to begin with. That's another thing that I preach on this show is that that's what's got humanity all really kind of uh, uh, messed up in the head because – well, I'm more superior morally because I'm this, or I am more superior uh, genetically because I am this, or whatever the hell they want to label themselves as. 
I'm a human being. I like other human beings. Some of the other human beings, maybe I don't like them so much, but I'm not going to interact with them voluntarily, so they can do whatever they want in their own neck of the woods, just as long as they're not bothering me. These are the concepts that people really don't understand because it's too overgeneralized, in my opinion. Uh, How would you deliver that message even more into a fact that people that think they're more uh, um, special just because how high they, they identify? Um, oh, that, you know, that's difficult. <laughs> I like human being. That's how I identify regardless of what my nationality is or, you know, my veteran status or what color of my skin or any of that other, or what religion I practice. I'm a human being. I like other human beings. Yeah, no, and I'm there as well. I believe that, you know, all humans have inalienable human rights. It's what this country was founded on. Um, as someone who's traveled the world a lot, um, you know, leaving the country really made me appreciate it more. Um, that we're not a nation for one people. You know, you right. have Europe, you have Germany for the Germans, you have England for the English, France for the French. The USA is really unique around the world because it was founded on an idea that all human beings have individual rights. Now we've got a flawed track record on delivering on that promise at best. <laughs> Correct. I agree with that. And I say it was still have the idea. philosophy, but not maybe in practice. Yeah. You know, we've never, we've never really gotten there. And unfortunately at this point, we're headed away from it way too fast. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm sure you don't like it either. And it's devastating. Unfortunately, we have kind of um, a generation that's, raised in the public school system that's been taught all this socialism, all these wonders of government, because it needs to, in order to self-perpetuate, it needs people to believe in it, despite all its failures, and that all its failures are simply because there's not enough of it. So we pour more in, it fails more, which means we need even more. And people have been afraid. But I think the difference is now is that the last two years, people have had some of that curtain pulled back and they see the wizard working after the lockdown going wait government isn't working correct we don't it's understand not the, it's why, not the facade that they told us because not. our security blanket isn't there it's a security blanket that really isn't there yeah no it really was the uh, curtain in front of the wizard of oz we're looking at the big projected image and not realizing that it's just some guy pulling some levers over there to distract us from what's really going yeah. on. Um, and I think people are buying into that security blanket a little too much, and they're trying to reinforce it, even though the, the, the layers are being peeled back every single day in front of their eyes. And they, they've grasped onto this concept for so long that they can't actually realize that it, it's really a facade. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, something that I use that I find useful, uh, you know, the libertarian statement of principles says that we challenge the cult of the omnipotent state. And some people think that language is a little bit out there, but I think it's very accurate. Um, and I don't want to get, you know, get sidetracked on the religious side, but it really is a cult. It really is a God for so many people on the left, on the right. And it's, it's funny, um, you know, no, no offense towards atheists, and I have a lot of libertarian atheist friends who absolutely agree with me, but the approach that people take is absolutely God. It's amazing that, you know, you can have a socialist atheist say, oh, you, you know, it's fictional, it's not real. Well, what is government? It's just a concept. No, nothing physical there. That's a building. In fact, it's modeled after a Greek temple, if that wasn't a big enough of a hint to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it boggles my mind that it, it's another human being in a uniform that presents an idea that they have power over me. Yeah. And when somebody actually addresses that entity or that human being in that uniform, or I, I call it a costume now because I've way gone beyond what another human being has the rights over me, is that it's, they're in a costume portraying a role to say that they have power over me. Now, who is that individual? 
it's a human being in front of me. Now, we can address this as human beings or we can address it under policy enforcement or whatever the circumstances are. It's a role that somebody's playing to enforce something upon you. And I think yep. that's one thing that people really need to grasp upon themselves is that it's a concept that keeps you under a guidance of control. Yep, exactly. Um, you know, we as libertarians, we often pick on cops, sometimes unjustly, because they... Um, well, they cops, military, whatever, attorney, justice. judge. Point being that recently in Uvalde, New Mexico... Um, <clears throat> Valde, Texas, sorry. <laughs> um, we had an example there because, um, you know, putting on the uniform of the government does not change who you are inside, does not change morality. And we had cops who stood outside letting children die and keeping parents from rescuing them. We had another cop who grabbed someone's shotgun, not his, not a service weapon from the government, a private citizen's arm, and rushed in there to stop the shooter and save children's lives. It wasn't the uniform that made the difference that day. It was the person inside. Correct. Right. And that's what we need to pay attention to. Um, when I'm asked about, you know, reform with police, that's often, you know, what I say is morality doesn't change. Right? It doesn't matter whether you're wearing a government uniform or not. It doesn't matter whether it's individual or done by the government. Morality is the same. Mm -hmm. And the person inside who's acting for the government, they aren't changed. They don't become a better person because they have a seal of office. Um, you know, for better or worse, when you vote for me, you get David Wiley. <laughs> right? I ran into a lot of police officers in my personal interactions. I was pulled over. I was a passenger in a vehicle. I had a, a, a marijuana contained entity in my pocket. And, um, you know, I... I had my student ID and all this and that, and the cop was just, and I was a grown man with, you know, MATC ID because I was at a technical college for welding, but um, they pulled me over. Uh, it wasn't my vehicle. They pulled us over. I had it on me, and he was like, oh, what's this? I was like, man, it is what it is, and it wasn't nothing but a little bit of a, a, a half of a joint, really, and he was just stuck it in his back pocket. He was like, y'all can go. You know, the, 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 the entity of the police officer as a human being is one thing. The entity of a policy officer is another thing because um, the, the entity of the human being can always choose what they want to enforce at the time of enforcement, no matter what the situation is. It's all whether they want to do the paperwork. Now, we have uh, go-getters, gung-hoers, people that want to rank up high and be influencers and all this and that. And I think that's where humanity has been separate from the state. And when we talk about police officers, they're, not, they're, they're good people. They, they have a job to do as far as trying to keep people safe in dangerous environments. And the United States is a dangerous environment. So unfortunately, our courts have said they don't have the responsibility of protecting people. I know but that. a lot of people become police officers because they think it that's is the concept. That's what they want to do. Yep. That's the, the mindset. Person. That is what they think they are doing, but that's not the law. What they think the they're problem, doing is not the law. The problem we as libertarians need to remember is it's it's not humanity. We're not trying to fix humanity. Humanity is what it is. It's always been flawed. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's the system. It's the process. And the government process right now rewards a certain output. It wants to enforce its rule. And so that's what the system does. You don't have to save lives. You need to enforce our codes. So there's incentives and punishments for police, for people in the system to do that. And that's what I, as a libertarian, really getting elected, I want to change that. I'm going to challenge that. And I'm telling people, look, I'm going to change the law or try to so that police officers aren't doing all this code enforcement. I want them keeping the peace. I want them stopping violent crime, right? What do we like to say as libertarians? No victim, no crime. No crime, right. right? And the public isn't really there yet. And they're starting, to, particularly right here with the growing crime rate, you know, I can still talk to a Republican. They're like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want people doing drugs. I don't 
want prostitution. But oh, like, well, we can bring that up. We can bring that up. Yeah, but, you know, I talked to him, like, but don't you think it's more important that we go after these violent crimes? And we have limited resources. Do you really want the police chasing after those people when there's a murder happening? And they will because the government knows it can fleece them for money. Correct. <laughs> so here's a concept. If we were to, as libertarians, if we were to end a drug war and make it into a uh, solid federal and global trade market, we eliminate the drug war because all trade is now legal, regardless of what the commodity is. Now, mm -hmm. if we were to actually instill the business mindset of quote unquote drug dealers or pimps or whatever they think is a commodity that allows them to survive in society. Now, if we were to change the mindset of these individuals and say that, hey, we eliminated these government barricades that said that you didn't need a license, you didn't need a, a, um, a certificate, all you needed to do was just continue on in the trade of the commodity. Do you think that libertarians would have an upper hand in argument or am I just a lunatic that thinks that that idea as far as opening and actually solving one argument with another is that if you end the drug war, you actually implement foreign policy as far as opening the trade markets. Now, what uh, uh, treaties will be uh, vacated or avoided because of this, now do we end the goal? global commodity trade of currency with world banks as far as a centralized currency system is concerned when we can open trade to every country as far as every commodity. Now, how that commodity is still uh, uh, cultivated and everything else is up to debate. But the thing is, is that many policies have dictated that the, the competition of natural substances like cannabis, or uh, cocaine or heroin or opiate plants. These are natural commodities that are openly traded on the market with pharmaceutical companies because they have the monopoly on the trade. So when we talk about uh, the drug war, it's two drug wars. We have the pharmaceutical trade groups that can openly trade uh, opiates and everything else. And then we have the underground system that cannot openly trade opiates and everything else because yep. it is a, uh, um, a commodity that has been restricted from the, the public because it, it's a detriment. We, get, we got uh, Mexicans and blacks. We're gonna, they're going to rape white women when we're talking about mar uh, marijuana, which is just cannabis. But hemp is still imported from can Canada to this day as yep. a commodity. But it is restricted in this country, but we still purchase it from another. That, this stuff boggles my mind. And um, I, I want your opinions. I'm sorry I went on a rant there, but. It's fine. Um, and the thing I, I want to underscore is we as libertarians, we've always had the best arguments. Like what you said, it, it makes sense. It's reasonable. The problem is, is that less than 10% of the populace is ever convinced by any argument. Right. This is what we have to realize as libertarians. This is where we fail. We can. We could have the 100% perfect argument and argue it till the cows come home. We won't win with just arguments. But 90% of the people are persuaded emotionally, right? And we have to go out there and win, not their minds, their hearts. We have to convince them that we care about them. It's great. I'm not saying we don't have those ideas. We need them, especially people like me who are running for office. I've got to develop those and say, okay, and then I've got to turn that into a bill. I've got to turn that into a law and fix it. But I need to present it to people. And the only way people are going to accept it is if it makes their life better. If I can take it to the kitchen table and say, I care about you and your family. I care about your neighbor's families. And I want to do this because it'll be better for everyone. And we need to be better about relating. We need to be better at expressing not our minds, but compassion because there's a nuance with everybody that wants to take their next step in their next breath yep and while we are you know we are a party that accepts uh enlightened self-interest we are a party that accepts people can be selfish 
I would argue that we're libertarians because at least at some level, we're not. The really selfish people, they go into government and they control all that power from the top and they screw everybody else because they don't care about mutual benefit. It's isolated. We're, yeah. we're trying to spread mutual benefit for our yes. own benefit. And I think we're that's where the message is great. And some of us are really selfish. Some libertarians believe they're completely selfish, but they're not because they're not willing to use violence. Every libertarian cares. And we need to embrace that we care and tell people that we care. We need to get a little bit more out of our mind space and more into our heart space, right? When we're communicating with people who aren't libertarians. Yeah, because I mean, if, if I can provide to a farmer or to a trucker and say that, hey, if I give you this, can you provide something for me? It's always gonna be a mutual trade for mutual benefit. Now, maybe somebody cannot provide mutual benefit, but you have an overabundance of benefit to give to that person because your family and yourself is not going to need it. And that's one thing that people, I think, are sleeping on libertarians is that we offer anything that we don't need to everybody else. Yep. Exactly. We believe it in charity. We really actually want to help people because, again, as I said, I don't want to tax poor people to provide homes for poorer people. I want to raise everybody up. And I have a tool called the free market that can let me do that. I can have this developer who's in a business. He wants to feed his own family and he's going to make houses because these people who only have a little bit of money, he'll make what they can afford if we let them. Well, just remember because those people are going to want to work to have that housing and they're going to do this and they're going to do that to actually pay for that housing through their yeah. work. Yeah. The only thing is, is that people have a fiat currency shoved so far up in their fucking mindset that they don't understand that it's mutual trade that's happening to make the system work. Yeah, we just see the dollars, we see the bills, and it, it becomes yes. magical thinking. What we really teach in, in our public schools is magical thinking. You flip the switch and the light comes on. You turn the handle and the water pours out. And it's magic. It just happens. But it doesn't. There's a system behind all of it. It all works because of a series of chain and effect and human designed systems. Right? Yeah. Uh, that green back, that green piece of paper has almost no inherent value. You can't burn it for much heat. You can't eat it. It's just a commodity of trade. It could be all sorts of things. It can be gold. It can be cryptocurrency. It can be tangible um, assets or tangible skill sets. Yep. Yeah. Any commodity of trade, any, anything that we value. And unfortunately, because we're storing value in fiat currency, we're allowing the government to control it. So and that's what they're doing right now is they're devaluing that currency, which they do really own when we get down to it. It's the U.S. dollar. They're destroying it, but we as a people are choosing to put our wealth into it. Well, the thing is, is that they don't control this interaction between you and I. No. And it's a voluntary interaction. And that's one of the examples that I want to present to the people is that you want to uh, come on the show and present your campaign and tell people who you are. To say that this is the libertarian that was voted upon for 20,000 votes in a Washington state campaign. And yep. we're going to do this again. And this is the message behind it. And I was like, I want him on the show because I want to promote my podcast by having the best guest on the show. And this is an individual that is going to promote my show. So I want him on. And to have an individual that actually has the example that should be set upon everybody is that there is a spectrum to libertarianism, no matter if you're on the left or on the right. We're all human beings, and we can all reach a mutual agreement that we want to take our next step and our next breath without violence implemented or my stuff taken. You know, and personal property can be traded upon individuals. That happens every single day, no matter if it's a Facebook messenger or a, a, a Craigslist ass or whatever. It, people will trade with each other voluntarily as long as everybody has a mutual benefit. 
And that's one of the things that people don't really understand either. And it, it, it kind of boggles my mind because when you can provide for one person and that person provides for two or three, it, 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 it's a perpetual motion that keeps the system going. Yeah, exactly. And most of us came from uh, or are part of a two-parent family, right? And often the American ideal is that one is working, one has the money. And well, what's what's the other one? Are they getting nothing out of it? Are they being taken advantage of? No, not at all. There's some there's an agreement there, some form or another, that okay, this person's getting the outside resources, and this person's investing inside resources, time, labor, so on. And there's there's an exchange. And for most of us, that exchange is the most valuable one in our lives, right? Is the family. Yeah. We are willing I can, to. I can agree with that totally. Into it for our families. Right? That's just, that's the human nature. Well, and, and for families, it's, I, I think that uh, you can even take it to a primal nature where it's to the death. If, if, if somebody was to go and impose themselves on a family member of yours, um, let's take a, a, a public example of Cain Velasquez, a USC fighter. That's an alpha male. He's a huge individual that had another family member that was uh, supposedly sexually assaulted. And maybe it was true. I don't know. It's just an example. But he imposed himself on that individual after the fact. This is the thing that uh, I don't really um, don't disagree with is that if there's one imposition of aggression on one individual, the reaction should be the same, if not more. Now, I'm also a Norse pagan, a different religious background. Um, so the concept still that in uh, mutual agreement, we can prosper, but in mutual disagreement, we can self-destruct. And that's one thing that people don't really understand is that that can be a perpetual motion throughout timelines uh, that can go vastly beyond our own existence. Yep. That's true. Um, as, a, as a one example of you were saying giving up, I would say the uh, Revolutionary War, all the people who fought there and died they obviously didn't do it for their own benefit. If you're dying on a battlefield, you're not getting a benefit. They chose, they wanted to end um, that monarchist way of life. They wanted right. to end people as commodities. They wanted us, whether they're biological descendants or you know, no matter who you are, if you believe in that dream, you're an ideological descendant, right? Correct. They wanted that way of life that they didn't fully understand. Um, Ask any venture that swore their, their oath to the Constitution of the United States to defend them, that, that Constitution against enemies, foreign or domestic. Ask any veteran that. And they understand that that oath is a concept that they go to war to fight. And then they're all jacked up because that oath is in direct contradiction to what they're actually doing in practice. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. But, um, you know, the people of the Revolutionary War, they fought and they sacrificed. Yeah. Because it was more value that we would have a chance, this chance that we have now. Um, you know, the foresight in that is, is outstanding because people don't understand that that was 200 years ago. And the foresight in that is absolutely critical to how people live today. Yeah. Uh, more people need to read Thomas Paine. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, Mr. Mr. Roger Mayhem in Clubhouse introduced me to Thomas Paine as far as the formal thought process. Excuse me. And what I told him is that from what I was instilled as a child all the way up into then, I didn't know the actual source was Thomas Paine, but I knew the influence on my family was Thomas Paine when I started reading him. So uh, uh, it, it doesn't really matter it, as long as it's actually transcended through the timelines of people from one generation to the next, that that thought is still in people's mind is the absolute 
uh, uh, idea that I think people need to grasp upon is that it's there. That people want freedom. People want no introductions of uh, barricades on their lives. That life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is is, is what it's about. You know, a lot of people have their own political influences right now. There's a big caucus that has Ron Paul as their major backing. But for me, it's Thomas Paine. That's where it's at for me as a libertarian. Um, And his common sense and talking about the natural rights of of mankind. Now, they say man in, in that book, which is a little bit dated terminology. So I say mankind because it includes women. <laughs> According Blank. to some groups, but <laughs> I digress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this idea that we're all naturally morally equal, right? And that we're all striving, you know, to better ourselves on our own. And that certain individuals place themselves above everyone else. Um, and they're putting a weight down on humanity. They're keeping us down. And that's the, the government system of having, you know, these rulers. Um, <clears throat> the way it was set up, the president wasn't supposed to be a ruler. It's become one through changes. Well, he wasn't the- supposed to be a king either. No. Not a king, uh, and we don't have kings, but they weren't supposed to be a ruler. They're not supposed to be telling us how to live, right? Correct. All of Congress wasn't. Uh, the federal government existed because of foreign threats, right? They had just gotten done fighting the world's superpower at the time, and they realized that the existence of the nation was a fragile thing. There were 13 colonies that didn't even necessarily get along that well. Mm-hmm. Right. They had a lot of conflicts, big one being slavery that inevitably set up for the deadliest American war. Um, people don't realize that, yes, it was the deadliest. Even in the 19th century, that war claimed more than World War One and World War Two in terms of American lives. Um, but, yeah, it brought us together. The federal government is just supposed to be there keeping us safe from foreign involvement. Um, to talk about my philosophy, one of the reasons I'm not an anarchist is because same reason I believe in gun rights. Well, everybody else has a gun, so people should be able to have a gun to defend themselves. Why do I want a government? Protect myself from foreign governments. <laughs> That's because, exactly what the purpose of the government is for. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the slogans that I use in my campaign when talking to people is that Government doesn't exist to protect us from ourselves. Purpose of government isn't to tell us how to live. The valid purpose of government is to protect us from each other. That's it. One thing I talk about people is that when you don't need government, the independence is always going to be on you as far as where your skill sets, where your knowledge where is your independence as far as being a sovereign human being to exist on this planet or this plane of timeline however you want to explain it the thing is is that um when you look at the uh because like i said i was a norse pagan i am a norse pagan not was but norse pagan so wisdom is the highest aspect of which you can obtain throughout your timeline through failure you will find out who you are Maybe I, I'm not a carpenter. Maybe I'm a blacksmith. Maybe I'm not a mechanic. Maybe I'm an AC me- uh, technician. Maybe I'm a, um, an architect. Maybe I'm a person that can sell many things. The wisdom through failure is where you will end up throughout your timeline as far as your experience. And then that timeline needs to be accumulated and then placed into the next mind that you just re- created in your your children, that entire timeline needs to be transcended into your children, and then it progresses to the next timeline. So uh, when we talk about skill sets and knowledge and understanding human interaction and that it's not all about Nike or anything that you've been sold in an advertisement or any of that shit, it's about making sure that you can take your next step, you can take your next breath. And that it's a mutual agreement that we can survive together without conflict. 
Absolutely. And let's, um, you know, maybe let's talk about conflict, why we want to cooperate, because in conflict, in war, other things, it's destructive, right? Um, one of my professors told me that, you know, in a fight between animals, there isn't, they don't, there isn't necessarily a winner at all. Typically, there's just a survivor. Correct. And that's that's what it is. We do not want conflict. We do not want war. Um, as pretty much any veteran can tell you, there's nothing really to be gained from war. It's just death and destruction. Well, all you know is that you did survive. Exactly. You know, that's really the best you can get out of it, unfortunately. Um, there's theft and stuff, but, you know, I, I won't go in there and the uh, fruit of... Uh, well, there's a lot of other things that happen in war, and that's a totally isolated... It's destructive to human society. There's less for everyone afterwards when we build society based on conflict. Because there's because there's an uh, also a consolidation of power, and there's less of power for everybody else after the conflict of war. And that's one thing that's happened perpetually over the past hundred years, over and over and over again, is the consolidation of power that just keeps just minimalizing itself. And that's why I'm a minimalist. I, I think that government, if I want to label myself, I think that government should minimalize itself in my personal life every single day. But if I want to grasp on that label. Yeah, uh, for me, it it's a little different. I want government to mostly be irrelevant, um, but I'm a little bit rare among libertarians in that I don't care what size the government is. I just want it to be voluntary. It's the nature of it. You can have as much or as little government as you want because it's voluntary. You want government to provide you, say, like cable internet. Well, if it can do so efficiently in your rural community where a major corporation, why not? You know? There's nothing wrong with that, so long as it's voluntary, so long as we're not stealing from people to do it. Uh, government, when you really get down to it fundamentally, is just another type of human organization. That's how we structure society. Yep. Corporation, tribe, government. Um, What's gang. the hierarchy, though? Yes. That's the question. What is the hierarchy? What gives someone the authority to give orders if they're giving orders? Right. And somebody always thinks they need to be giving orders. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. There's no, yep. if you can have an actual uh, Arthur of the Knights of the Round Table, where there is no one end or the other, it's always a centrifugal thing that is happening with everybody. That was always the concept that, and that's one of the things about that story that, that always uh, grasped me, but and when I found the Norse pagan faith, it was the oath ring, and it's always a circle of motion. Hmm. And if you look at uh, the yin and yang, it's always a circle of motion. But you may have two conflicting sides of each other. And if, if you look at um, Native American, it's always the circle with the four signs of north, south, east, and west. So uh, it, this is an ancient thing. Not always, because uh, you know I, I'm part Native American. There's many different uh, Native American nations with their own customs and beliefs. Um, but more to the point is that we need to. What's what's the moral source in any organization in any human structure? What is the moral source for it? Um, I work for a company, a corporation, and the moral source for my boss giving me orders is that it's voluntary. I choose to. There's an agreement, you know, he's going to give me money at the end of the week. I'm going to give him labor. So the moral authority is our voluntary agreement, right? Yeah. I'm honoring my word. He's honoring his word. And, uh, you know, anytime we're free and we can stop. Um, <clears throat> with government, it should it should be similar. It should be, oh, well, I choose to be here and a part of this government. They're going to give me, you know, collective protection from those outside who want to destroy life and liberty. And I'm going to give them what I think voluntarily is worth that by buying the service, right? 
an example I give to some of my constituents when they talk about necessary government services is that, are they really necessary, right? Some people say, a lot of socialists say, oh, well, government has to provide you the necessary things. But there's an easy example. We all need food to live, and the government doesn't provide it to us. <laughs> they tell and you that, that they're providing it because they're outsourcing the, the – they're telling the, the farmers how much to grow and controlling the commodity at the source. But then they're also controlling the price, saying of who profits and who does this and – you know, but they're not delivering food to my home. They're not choosing what I eat. And nobody wants them to. They recognize that, that would be a disaster. Like, you want the government choosing what your meal is and how much of it? No, nobody wants that. So why do you want them choosing your health care? Right? <laughs> but think of the people that have bought into, like, the WIT program or uh, food stamps or any of that stuff, too. You know, the government designates what you can purchase on one platform or another. I mean, uh, I think that there, it's a progressive grooming of uh, the thought process. But we may need to continue this. We're, we're reaching on an hour here. We, I, and uh, I, I love how this conversation has been going. Uh, I, I think we can go probably for another half hour, 45 minutes, maybe even two, three hours, depending on what topics we touch on. Um, David Wiley, why don't you let everybody know your website, where they can contact you, and uh, where you're running in Washington, and they already know your thought process here. Just let them know where they can get in touch with you. Yep. Um, I'm running in uh, western Washington, just north of Seattle, the 38th Legislative District, Everett, home of Boeing, uh, also Marysville, it's Laylip Reservation. Uh, I have two websites. You can see wileyforwashington.com, which is my voter messaging site. Uh, bringing the message of liberty to people. Uh, that's Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. And I have WileyForLiberty.com. That's for those who want to get involved and donate, um, want to volunteer, who want to contribute and be the force behind um, getting a libertarian elected to the Washington State Legislature. And, uh, you know, if you will make a donation uh, in the name of the lunatic libertarian, then maybe we can uh, get back on this podcast and we can make more things happen. Oh, well, well, I'll definitely be donating to that, uh, that <laughs> because I definitely want you back on here. I got a bunch of guests that have been contacting me and saying, hey, let me back on the podcast and uh, let's keep spreading the word of liberty. I, I'm willing to bring anybody on here. I love everybody that is about being about freedom and minimizing the government barricades that implement uh, all this pressure on our life. If we can move freely, I think we can learn freely, and I think that we can interact freely. And I think that uh, human interaction is always voluntarily, no matter if it's in trade and fiat currency or if it's in skills and uh, resources. So I think that people need to get out here and vote for David. They need to get out here and get on that Liberty bandwagon out in Washington State get him into legislation, and, and, and just get the government out of your way. Just get them out of the way. If you get government yep. out your way, just, just think mental health improves. Livelihood improves. Your, your family life improves. Maybe I don't want to work a nine-to-five. One thing that COVID did is that it implemented a, a home lifestyle that can actually be sustained with still creating a commodity for consumers. Yep. Now, I'm not a consumer. I hate that title. I hate that label. I'm not a consumer. I don't just consume shit. I'm a producer. So uh, it goes both ways. So um, the government labels everybody in this country as a consumer, not a producer. Remember that um, the statistics can be skewed in favors of one or the other. There's a spectrum of libertarianism. There's a spectrum to liberty. Everybody, enjoy your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I'm the Lunatic Libertarian, David Wiley. I really appreciate you being on the show. We got to do it again. You need to stay with me after I end this broadcast because I got a couple more questions for you to set up another one. Everybody get out there. Vote for this man. Washington State Legislature, get out there. I'm the Lunatic Libertarian. David Wiley, we are out. <laughs>